seems everyone on the planet knows you're supposed to give to people in need. The hard part is actually giving to people in need. And there's a number of reasons for that. We're going to look at those today. But we're also going to look at what is Jesus' view as far as helping people in need. And how is it that instead of looking for honor for ourselves, we can instead honor the King who gave us such amazing circumstances. This sermon was originally recorded March 9th, 2014 at Castle Rock Middle School. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we are continuing again in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. And just for memory, do you remember how long it takes to preach the Sermon on the Mount? It takes me like two months, but how long did it take Jesus? Like 13 minutes, 12 minutes, something like that. This is one of the shorter sermons that we have besides uh, the shortest of all time, of course, is Jonah's repent the kingdom, I mean, the uh, destruction is near. So that's the shortest one that we have in record, but this one's kind of in between. And then like Peter's in the book of Acts is about 20 minutes. So that's, I don't know if that's where we get our kind of idea how long sermon should be or something like that. But it's only 13 minutes long, but it is packed full of stuff. Have you noticed it's like item after item after item, which is why we can spend two months on it. And I think not exhaust it. So we're in the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, it kind of transfers, it just kind of picture it moving. It starts with Jesus saying, this is who you are in Christ. Um, you are blessed. You are a peacemaker. This is who you are in Christ, who Jesus has made you. Then we have this longer section where Jesus starts explaining, here's what the law really means. So when you read like, do not murder in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to preach authoritatively to say like, that's not all there is to it. I expect you not even to hate someone. That's the same equivalent, tantamount to murder. When it comes to uh, don't commit adultery, you could say, okay, that's really easy. I just don't have an affair if I'm married. Well, Jesus says, if you look at someone lustfully, you've already broken that commandment. So he kind of talks on this for quite a while. And we get to the section we're going to get to today. This really is kind of a transition section that we start talking about motives. Motives, are, I think, are difficult because why are motives so difficult? It's like a matter of the heart, and you can't really see. Uh, and what you discover from what Jesus teaches and what you've discovered in life is outward compliance does not necessarily mean inward agreement, does it? From your interactions with people, you've discovered this. And there's a story I share that I heard once in a sermon, and uh, I don't even know if it's real, but we'll just pretend that it's real. It's this, this little boy sitting at the dinner table. I've shared it with you before. He stands up, and his dad says, sit down. He stands up, and his dad says, sit down. Stand up and, eat, and sit down and eat your food. So finally, the boy sits down, and of course, you know how it finishes. He leans to his brother and says, I might be sitting down, but inside, I'm standing up. Right? So now you could take this one of two ways. You could take this to say, like, if your work circumstances are not great, you've had trouble at school, you think... Um, you know what? Good. He's going to stick it to the man, and he is going to rise, and it's going to sound like a Kelly Clarkson song or something like that. And uh, I'm going to see how many songs I could quote. I will rise, and I will survive, and uh, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I mean, like all this like inner, you know, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to win. Or you could take it like I take it that says outward compliance does not necessarily mean inward agreement. This is kind of a big deal when you start talking about relationships. So all of you are in some kind of relationship, and you've experienced this. Um, they say that eyes are like the, what's the word, window to the soul or gateway? I can't think. Window is probably a better term. It's not like a freeway into your soul. It's, um, but they say the window to the soul, and I just read an article that said that this is true. And I think some of this research goes back to um, Malcolm Gladwell in his book Blink, which I've shared with you before. But they had researchers in Washington, and they were studying couples to try and figure out, like, what, uh, which, what's the compatibility with couples? 
So pastors do various things. They ask you questions. Um, I've got these note cards. There's uh, 40 or 50 of them. We go through the note cards with the, the couples, and some of you have had marriage counseling with me for uh, pre-marriage, have gone through these. They answer the questions, we talk about the differences, and we kind of find uh, to make sure we're on the same page. Makes some sense. Well, these researchers put these high-speed cameras. I think that's what you call them, right? High-speed would mean like there's so many pictures taken per second that you can slow it down kind of in slow-mo. So I think it's called high-speed. So they, they zoom these cameras in on these couples while they fight. And uh, they're having, they, they watch them and they listen. And while they discuss things, discuss things, they, they break it down and they've discovered, uh, among other things, words used and things like this, like if you always say yes, but, that's not an awesome relationship. But if you say, you know, you're right, um, this is where I'm coming from. They discovered that there is actually a, a facial feature that shows one particular feeling. And what they've discovered is, as they discovered, um, uh, research these couples long term, that when this facial expression is exhibited when they argue, the chances of them remaining married are not very good. They can predict if a couple will stay together like 90%. So all you, if you want to know if you're compatible, just go have an argument in front of some scientists with high-speed cameras at your face. And the thing that they discovered is when someone shows contempt. So even though they say the right things, even though they're doing the right things, what they're seeing is this window that says inside, I do not agree. In fact, I don't even respect you. So we got an idea that you've experienced that. We just read it in our reading. Remember, Jesus um, says, be, uh, before the day is through, Peter, you're going to disown me three times. And how does that indicate it to Peter? Remember, he's in the process of it. And you can just imagine this. And Jesus just looks. And Peter weeps because he realizes what he's done. It has hit home so hard because... What he's recognizing is he has not done the things and he knows exactly what Jesus is thinking. How do we understand this as Christians? That God doesn't just want the outward compliance and he wants something more. Theologically, how do we understand that in this service? Can you think? God wants way more than just outward compliance. Who are the best, most behaved people that you could think of in the Bible besides Jesus? It's not David. I mean, we've discovered that. Who is the bad? The Pharisees really are. I mean, as far as a human perspective, these guys did and did everything perfectly. Here's what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees. These people honor me with their lips, or uh, their lips, I should say, but their hearts are far from me. How do we recognize theologically as a group of Christians in our own church that God wants more than just our actions? You ever listen really closely how we confess our sins? It says something like this. I confess that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts and my words and my actions. So we recognize that to be a Christian, to live for Christ, he wants more than just what's in our actions. He wants more than just our words. In fact, he wants our whole self. All these things should align. What does this have to do with uh, what we're talking about today? Historically around Lent, and I'm not sure where this came from, but historically around Lent, churches in, in general have started talking about giving alms for the poor, which is just an awesome phrase. Does anyone still use alms for the poor? It's like a Charles Dickens novel. Alms for the poor is giving to those who are in need. And this happens historically around churches right around this time. And I think the challenge, though, is actually giving to the poor. I think this is hard. Would you put this in the category of easy or hard when you say giving my money to people in need? 
I think it's in the really hard category. Some people say it's really difficult to give to church, and I would agree to that. Some of you look surprised. Imagine that. Some people are not totally pumped to give all their money to church. Um, But I think giving to church is even way easier than giving to the poor for a couple reasons. I mean, from my own perspective, God says, this is what I want you to do. From my own perspective, God says, I have given you the money in the first place. From my own perspective, God says, I'm going to bless the offerings that you do. We can recognize that God is furthering the gospel through our offerings. This makes sense, I think. I've personally seen how carefully they count the money. I've personally seen how carefully our financial secretary keeps track of everything. I know where the money gets spent. You know where the money gets spent. You can just send me an email and say, hey, can I see the church budget? Sure. You can see exactly what I make to the penny. You would know more than I would because I don't know what I make to the penny. But you can find out exactly what I make to the penny. You can find out my pension. You can find out how much it costs to have health insurance for me. You can find out how much, just about anything. If you want... One month's period, from now until I got here, the PDF receipts, you can get it. You're like, I'm really curious about September 11. What a, what a crazy month. I can send that to you, and you can say, here's how we spent it. In fact, we have been good with our money, I think. And I say people give to organizations that um, take care of people and take care of money. We have been able to save, as a group of Christians, $150,000 to go to some point, either buying land or buying a building to restore. I think that's good. God has blessed you, and you've shown those blessings to the church. Do you know I cannot write a check from that? You should know that. No one here can write a check from that account. Nobody. In fact, we need two people present. That's a locked account. Money just goes into it. It's like your kids. Money just goes into it, and it never comes out, right? This is how it works. You need two people present to get there. For me, I know that the money that I give to this particular church is taken care of. I know what our church does for people, and I think that's easier. Why is it so much more difficult to give to people in need? I'm guessing that every single person here gives more money to church than they give to charities that help people. That's a guess. Why is it so difficult to give to people in need? I think there's a couple reasons. The first is you've earned the money. Most of us don't have some sort of job where we won the lottery and now we get paid like $60,000 a year until we die. Most of us have to work. Most of us have to save. Most of us have a pretty good idea what we want to do with our money. If I said, um, I'm going to give you $500, what would you do with it? Is there anybody here who would be like, I have no idea what I'd do with $500. I can't even think of anything. All my needs are met. All my wants are met. I can't even imagine what I would do with 500 bucks. Or would the thing be for the next like four minutes, you'd have like such a long list of items that you would want to spend this on that you'd have a hard time deciding which of these items you want to do. To me, I think that's one of the challenges. If God says, I've given you this money, you've worked for this money, the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to take this money that I've earned, money that I could use and give it to someone else, I think that's pretty difficult. I think there's something else, though. Uh, Second reason I think it's especially difficult is they might waste it. I say, you need, we give to organizations that take care of your money. Do you ever feel that way when you see someone in need and you think, what exactly are they going to do with it? And then you start wrestling with this idea. Are they going to use it for... um, good things? Are they going to use it for like fruits and vegetables? And, or is it going to go towards like alcohol, drugs, 
prescription drugs? Is it going to go towards junk food? Is it going to, are they going to use this money in a way that I would agree makes some sense? Or are they going to get like the, giant, the biggest cable bill you've ever seen when you're giving them money and you're like, what? I don't even have that. And then suddenly you get bitter, right? They have things that you haven't had. This happened to me once. We'll just keep this on the doge. We'll just cut this part out of the sermon. So I went to, and I've told you this before, I went to the Douglas County Task Force. This is not something they do any longer, as I understand it. But I went there, and they're, really, they're giving us a tour, and I thought this was really cool. And they took us to this room, I told you, that was just filled with these awesome toys. It, they were nice toys, like remote control cars that I dreamed of as a child that could roll over the remote control car. My car would go forward and then do like that J-turn. That tells you the quality of my remote control car. This one, I think, would like burn, like leave rubber marks on this floor. We won't do it, Joe. So all these cool toys, and they said, here's what's awesome. When you give money to the task force, um, we buy these toys, and kids in need get to come, and they can pick out five items. I'm like, five items? Like, my kids get 40 bucks for Christmas, you know, like tops, and I try and spread it out as much as possible, like peas on a plate, so they don't know that it's not that much stuff, you know? And, and here they are getting, like, this car that would cost, like, $100 plus four more items. That makes me a little, di- it makes it difficult, doesn't it? You're like, is this money being well spent, or is this money being wasted? Have you ever felt that way when you pull up to, like, the off-ramp, and there's someone with a thing, and you think, where's this money going to go? Does that determine if you put money or give money or not? Probably a little bit. You probably don't get half as many phone calls as I get for people in need who want gas and uh, hotel rooms and all kinds of things because we're listed as a church. We get these calls all the time, and each time I think, are they really going to use this money? What would make this a legitimate use and which which is waste? You're not alone if you struggle with this. Uh, here's Here's a picture from our county. This is talking about discretionary income, so not just to nerd out you know, a little bit. I'm not a super finance guy, but the average income, I think, in our county is around 100000 Discretionary income, so I'm guessing they would say dis, um, necessity income is about 30000 I'm guessing that's where they put it because they say average median discretionary income in our county is about $69,000. So you can agree or disagree with that. So just imagine in your head, uh, what's my salary? What do we have? Minus about $30,000. That makes, according to the county, this stat, your discretionary income. Percent that people give towards charities, which could include churches or things in need, 3.8 of that, which doesn't actually sound that bad. You know what the number one is, though? There's a county in Oklahoma that gives 21% of their discretionary income. So there's one of two things happen. There's a giant bequest that has gone out. Uh, Warren Buffett has a summer home in there or something like that, or they just probably don't make that much money. So when you start talking about someone who makes, say, $40,000 and they give $2,000 to church, that's 20% of their income. Does that make sense? I don't exactly know what's going on with that county. But if you're saying, I have difficulty giving my money away, I'm just letting you know you're not alone. I think there's one other reason why we struggle, though, to give money away. Um, how many of you, when we do something in school, your parents would put it on the refrigerator? Anyone have refrigerator parents? And this was really the best, right? Like, this was a big deal. You, you had some art project. You got a good grade. And if you, especially if you had other brothers and sisters, this would go on to the refrigerator. And if you live today and you have kids, um, the refrigerators are really dead. Now it's Facebook. Facebook is the new refrigerator for your kids' achievements. So if your kids do something cool that goes on Facebook, they don't even see these things. So you might want to think about going back to a refrigerator. They do good on a test. They do well on a test. They do good on a test. I just said it incorrectly. They do well on a test. 
and you can put this magnet on, everyone feels good. Does it feel good when people recognize that? It feels good when you have hardly done anything and people recognize you. I'll give you an example, which I probably told you before because um, I like to brag about this part of my life. Uh, I would join a fantasy football league with some other pastors, and you can imagine how good they are, not very. So I joined this league. I went to the Super Bowl my first year, and I lost. I'm like, okay. Every year you got to redraft. It's this big thing with, from guys from multiple states, which sounds pretty funny. So we meet at this place. So the next year I get in it, and I win. I win the Super Bowl, and they're bitter because some of these guys really track it, and it's a big deal. So I win. I win the next year. And the third year I won, they, I replaced the trophy. So the trophy used to be like this pathetic little um, hodgepodge trophy with like bowlers and, and traveling salesmen. You're supposed to add a piece to it. I found in an industrial softball league a five-foot trophy from a friend of mine. I'm like, hey, what are you doing with that trophy? He's like, I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm like, I will take it. So I took it. I glued a helmet on top of it that I'd spray-painted gold. You know, and I put like my name engraved for the three years that I'd won. And, and I drove to the draft because we meet and we carpool to go down to Oregon. I drove to the draft, you know, my car with the sunroof. I had the sunroof open, and I had the, the whole time, well, they would see me on the highway, two feet of the trophy outside of my sunroof because it sat on my headrest, I mean, on my, on my armrest. And I hardly did anything for that, but everyone's like, all right. So they, you know, I got some recognition. That feels good. What about when you really work at something? How many of you have, like, done a diet or something? You've done, like, a workout program. You work and work and work, and someone actually notices. They say, hey, you're looking good. You're like, Thanks. Like, doesn't that feel good? Or at work, you show up early, you work and work and work, and someone actually notices the effort you put in. How good does that feel? Even if it's something silly, you just showed up early and work, or you pick something up and someone says, hey, thanks for doing that. How good does that feel? And in a sense, there's a little bit of a motivator, I think, with that. And I know kids, you have achieving kids and other kids that don't necessarily care. I mean, this is just personality-wise. But if you've got a kid that likes to achieve, that likes praise from other people, they will work like crazy just to hear someone say, nice. Some of your kids, they don't care. You know, they just want starbursts, you know. So it just depends. Where am I getting with this? Not only is it hard to give because you've earned this money, not only is it hard to give because someone else might waste it, but I think there's a chance nobody may notice I bet if we had like a scrolling log of what we gave to charity on here, I'm not saying this is good motivation, but I bet it would change your motivation. Why do you think when you go to stadiums and things like that, they have like these gold crown things and they've got tiles on the floor? Would you really give money to the Pike Place Market in Washington? Would you really give money to some stadium if they didn't put your name on it? I should ask this. Before you give, would you figure out how much do I need to give so I can get my name on a tile so I can show my kids someday? Recognition has a powerful thing, and Jesus recognized this as well. So here's what he says in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 6. We're just following right along where we were. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness, these are um, your good works, in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two things. Is there a question in Jesus' eyes as a believer that you give to the needy? 
Does he say if you give to the needy? He says when you give. That's number one. Number two that we take a look at is essentially this principle that Jesus is sharing. When you give, you don't do it to get honor. You do it to give honor to God. So just take a minute here to think, how, um, how can my giving honor God? Just think in your head. What, what are a few ways that my giving really honors God? I think there's three. It seems to be the theme today. You honor God's word. God says this. I have given you this blessing. God says all the things of the world are mine. I give them to you. God says that I would like you to give and support those in need. God says that as you look through the Old Testament, when a nation spiritually is starting to go down, they have forgotten those in need. God says, I will take care of you. And when you say, God, I'm going to take some of this money that I earned, that I could use, that I would like to use, and I'm going to give it to someone else, you're saying, God, I am honoring your word and I'm honoring you. I think you also honor God's system. There are a thousand ways that God can take care of people. Just think in the Old Testament, how has God taken care of people in various ways? Manna from heaven, quail comes down from heaven, Jesus feeds 5,000 people at once. There's a, a thousand ways that God could do this. God could give people jobs, God can give them scholarships, God can give them inheritance. One of the ways that God takes care of people who need things is you. And I think the hard part for us to, to wrestle with is in our own brain we think, well, you know what, I've earned these things, I've worked harder, I've made sacrifices to do and have the things I have. Do you think all people are the same? Are all people like you? No. There are people that are not as smart as you are. There are people that don't have the physical gifts that you have. There are people that can't see the bigger picture as you talk about. There are people who can't read. There are people who have not had the same parents you've had, the same opportunities you've had. There's people who have not had the same blessings as their parents encourage them to go in somewhere. When they say, I want to go to school, their parents laugh at them instead of saying, you know what, I think that's a great idea. There's kids that grow up without parents saying, like, no, you actually do go to school. You do get your homework done, and I know you don't like it. There's parents that say, you're not going to eat this. You are going to eat this, and this is how things get done. This is what you do. Not every person has that. Not every person has the things you have. So one of the ways that you can honor God, not only in God's system to take care of people, but I think honor the circumstances that God has given you. God has put you in a particular place with a particular job, with particular money, with particular skills, particular opportunities. And I think a way to understand this, you say, you know, no, no, I, I've, I've got all these things, this is stuff that I've done, is just think about this. As you pull up on the off-ramp, and you think about someone you're thinking about helping, and you th just think, would I want to trade places with them? Is there a single person you've thought about helping in the last year that you would want to trade places with? Is there a person that you would say, I wish I had their addictions to alcohol or prescription drugs or other drugs? Is that, I wish I had sold my body. Is that what you're thinking? Like, man, I wish I had their position. I wish I had so little money that I can't even count the last days I had a shower. Would you want to switch places? When you think about the last time you went out to eat and the best meal you've had, maybe they're thinking of McDonald's instead of some actual restaurant you want to go to. Do you want to switch places? 
when you hear about what's happened about their life? Do you want to switch places when you think, I wish I had their parents? How many of you are thinking that? I wish I had their opportunities. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their life. I wish when I walked in a room, I smelled so bad that people would look. How many of you want to switch places with them? And what I'm saying is when you give money to these people, not only do you honor God's word that says, I'm going to take care of you. You honor God's system that says there's people that don't have what you have and you can do something about it. You honor the circumstances that God has given you. Because I bet a thousand times over, if you would ask them, do you want to switch places, they would say, yes. I wish I had your parents, and I wish I had school, and I wish I had a job, and I wish I had a bank account, and I wish I didn't have credit card debt through my ears. It is absolutely hard to give up your money, totally. I'm not going to say this is an easy thing. It is hard to give to somebody. I mean, they're going to waste it. Um, we don't know what they're going to do with it. We don't know if it does any good. Are we enabling them or are we actually helping them? I don't know. I would never want to switch places with them, but then I think about the Savior who looked at you and me and says, you know what? I am willing to switch places with you. Condemned to death, he says, I'm willing to switch. Your lousy life, I'm willing to switch. Your sins, given to me. And what's amazing is that he actually still gives us blessing. It's hard for me. If I had $500 and I gave it to someone, I don't think I'd want to see what they spent it on. But Christ sees, and God sees how you spend it. You ever waste money? You ever buy stuff you don't need? Do you ever buy stuff that is inherently sinful? Do you ever look at entertainment you know you shouldn't be looking at with the money that God has blessed you with? And then we have the audacity as human beings to look at other people and say, they might just waste the money I'm going to give them. What do you think the holy God is saying with the blessings that he has given us and the way that we've burned them up? Yet he says, I want to switch. I want to make you different. I want to make you a believer. What's the greatest circumstance that God has given you? The greatest circumstance that God has given you is forgiveness and love and a new life that says, God, you have given all these things. Let me live out my faith by living out your system to help other people. What if I gave you $500? What would you do with it? 500 bucks, what would you do with it? And, and say, God, what, what would it look like to say, God, I want to honor your word and trust that you're going to take care of things, and I want to honor your system to take care of people in need. What would it look like? How would you use that money? Not in yourself and someone or some organization that helps people. What does it look like to honor the circumstance that God has given you? This is a circumstance. I'm giving you money. How are you going to honor God in that circumstance? We talked about it as a church. And one of the things that we really like to encourage is our grow groups trying to do some sort of service project. And we built a shed once. Uh, we make sandwiches. We thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could take some of God's money, essentially, and say, as, as families, talk this over. Go with your kids, talk with your spouse and say, where could this money, how could we actually help and give to someone who makes a difference? How can we live out the faith that Christ has given us to someone else? Then we thought, wouldn't it be cool if as grow groups we could give $500 to each grow group and say, you guys just talk this over, come with ideas, and you determine how you're going to spend this. Leadership Council said that's a good idea. So what we want you to do is go home, and I, I think this is cool, 
We want you to go home and think, where could this money be spent? I think it'd be a good conversation with your kids. Not everyone has the same advantages that we have. And uh, we see this as seed money. Then go to your grow group, come up with some ideas, and then determine what are we going to do as a group of Christians to try and have an impact in this community. You know better than I do. I know some people, but you know where the needs are met. You get to determine that. We'll write the check out, and hopefully that's seed money. You can give some of your own money to honor God's word, to honor God's system, and honor the amazing circumstances God has given you. Not only the money he's given you, but the forgiveness. He didn't buy you with gold or silver. He bought you with his holy, precious blood. Amen.